0: Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. (music) Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, June 11th, 2021. It was on this day in 1864 that during the American Civil War... The Confederate ship Alabama, under the command of Raphael Sims, sailed into Cherbourg Harbor in France for repairs. She had been at sea and had not been heard from in four months, but now with her pulling into port, her location was now known, and this would lead to a final confrontation of this Confederate ship with the USS Kearsarge just outside Cherbourg Harbor perhaps a little-known sea battle during the American Civil War. But yesterday we had a very interesting gospel reading in the uh, lectionary for the Daily Mass. And it seemed timely, I think, because yesterday in front of the cathedral here in San Francisco, there was a group of activists, demonstrators, with a large truck, almost like the size of a, a small moving truck, in which they would have a sign on the sides of that truck, but not signs that would be painted or plastered, but are computer-generated. And these were, of course, demonstrators, and their message was, and I quote, Archbishop, name your predators. Release the names of the priests accused of sexual abuse. So I guess it must have been a slow day for some people, Uh, and it doesn't look like there were too many people there, but every now and again... The scandals rears its ugly head, and the church is reminded of the ver- the acts of some very, very, you know, terrible people within our church. And it is something that many people don't seem to want the church to forget. Although, say, they seem to forget that, in many instances, the church has made public the priests who have been credibly accused of misconduct, and especially misconduct with minors. But a few years back, I would say back in 1999, in the Diocese of Santa Rosa here in California, I recall the bishop, who was very, very well beloved, had been caught in a compromising relationship with another priest. But also, in addition to that, his leadership over five years of the diocese had led to the diocese being in debt about 5 or $6 million, if I remember correctly. The fact that he was so well beloved by the people and especially by the youth, it was quite a blow to the Catholic community in that diocese. And I remember sitting in on a town hall meeting between some of the leadership of the diocese at a parish, and that included the pastor of that parish and his young associate. I was a seminarian at the time, and I just came into the parish hall and sat in the back and watched the dynamic as it went forth. And of course, the people who came were, I believe, righteously angry. They were extremely indignant at what had happened at the hands of the bishop. They had felt betrayed, and rightly so. They, of course, were very verbal in their displeasure while the leadership of the diocese was trying to explain to them what was being done and how they were seeking to deal with this and getting ready for the appointment of a new bishop. But at one point, in aggravation at the people, who had come to this meeting, the pastor of the parish stated, He said, Why is everyone so upset? Is it because we priests are held to a higher standard than everyone else? Whereupon everyone in the crowd shouted, Yes, affirming that priests are held to a higher standard. And the pastor was very crestfallen at that. However, his young associate actually stepped up and responded in a way that, in many ways, I wish it had been me, but it wasn't. And this young associate said to the pastor, Uh, Father, Monsignor, I have to say, I agree with the people in this room. I agree with what they said. And of course, Catholics being Catholics, the whole crowd applauded that this priest was agreeing with them, this young priest who obviously had nothing to do with any scandal that had occurred in the church, in the diocese, or in that parish. And he said, Yes, I agree with what they're saying. We priests are held to a higher standard. And then he goes on, He said, I'm a better man than anyone in this hall. And I deserve that higher standard. I should have that higher standard because I'm a better man than anyone in this room. Whereupon, of course, the crowd erupted again, and they were not happy by that statement. It was more or less, you know, you've got to be kidding. And some even booed him and, and chided him for it. At which point he said, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't agree? Who in this room does not agree that I'm a better man than anyone in this room? And of course, everyone defiantly raised their hands, you know, disagreeing with what he said. And Catholics being Catholics, they applauded everyone raising their hand and completely disagreeing with what the priest had said, whereupon he said, okay, if I am not a better man in this room, then kindly do not hold me to a standard that you yourselves are unwilling to live. And the room went absolutely quiet. And he didn't end there. He said, that being said, how many in this room are in your second or third marriage? whereupon the crowd erupted again. You have no right to judge us. You have no right to be judgmental. How dare you say things like that about us? And of course, I, I tell you folks, American Gladiator had nothing on this young priest. It was really interesting to see because he made a good point that the priests are held to a higher standard. And I think rightly so. But is that not a standard that every Catholic should live and that indeed every human being should live? But we look at certain people and see them as called to a higher standard that they excuse themselves from living. And as I mentioned earlier in the gospel, Jesus begins the reading by saying something that I think really deserves a lot of real serious reflection. And what he says is, unless your holiness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. heaven. Now, let me repeat that, and we can really think about those words. I tell you, and this is from the Gospel of Matthew, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's look at what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying this is a good thing. He's not saying this is a good suggestion. He's not saying it's a good thing to do, and I highly recommend it. He says, unless unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Which means he's putting our own salvation on the line, something that we can lose. If your holiness does not surpass that of your priest's, who many people hold to a higher standard that they themselves feel they are excused from. Your holiness must surpass that of your priests. My holiness as a priest must surpass that of the bishop. And all of our holiness must surpass that of the Holy Father. See, Jesus is very critical of the religious leaders of his time and of his society. But in no time does he take his criticism of them and then transfer that as an excuse for a low standard of his followers. If anything, his criticism of them implies perhaps it's going to be easy for us to surpass their holiness. But isn't that a tremendous challenge for today? Because people are so eager to criticize the Catholic Church in particular, religious leaders in general. They're so anxious to tear them down, but then they use that as an excuse for their own lack of moral standards. Don't tell me how to live because you don't live them yourself. But Jesus doesn't say that that is therefore an excuse for your lower standards, but rather he turns it around and he says, your holiness must surpass that of the people who hold a moral authority in our church or in our society. At the time of Jesus, it was the scribes and the Pharisees. Today, for Catholics, it is priests. For Christians, it's their ministers. And even for priests, it's our leaders, the bishops, the Holy Father. And for all of us, it's the leadership of the church. As holy as some of them may be, and as corrupt as some of them might be, and we always love to bring up the corruption and the mistakes of the church's past, Jesus doesn't say that is therefore an excuse for your sinfulness He says our holiness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. A few years ago, actually quite a while ago, in the 80s, there was a movie out called Agnes of God, based upon a play from the late 1970s. And this film starred Anne Bancroft as the mother superior of a religious community of nuns in Canada, and Jane Fonda who played a psychiatrist working for the courts to investigate a murder. I won't get into the actual plot, but I think rightly cast, Jane Fonda plays Dr. Martha Livingston, who is an ex-Catholic. I would say a recovering Catholic. And she's typical, her character is typical of other ex-Catholics, who I don't like to refer simply as ex-Catholics or former Catholics, but recovering Catholics. Recovering Catholics are people who are not only former Catholics, but former Catholics with huge chips on their shoulder. In fact, they live to be former Catholics. They live for their animosity toward the church, and any opportunity they can, they love to be critical and tear down the church for whatever reason. And Anne Bancroft, who I understand was a Catholic, plays the Mother Superior of this community. And at one point, the Mother Superior confronts Dr. Livingston with her hostility toward the Catholic Church. And she says, what did we do to you? And she gives a line I love. She says, don't deny it because I can smell an ex-Catholic a mile away. And that I think speaks a lot to ministers today who have to deal with a lot of these people who are not just ex-Catholics, but recovering Catholics. What did we do to hurt you? And then she asks the question, did we burn a few heretics? Did we sell a few indulgences? And her next line is very important. That is when the church was a ruling body. We let governments do that for us now. And that is something worth pondering. Why are people hostile to the church? Well, they criticize the church's history. But does their criticism lead to them surpassing that which they are criticizing in the church? Okay, so the church executed a few heretics. So we gotta stop the church from doing that now. The church doesn't do it anymore. Thank God the church doesn't do it anymore. We let the government execute people for us now. They sold indulgences. Okay, isn't that horrible? We've got to stop them from selling indulgences for exacting payment for services from the church. So the church doesn't do that anymore. The government taxes us for everything. Isn't it horrible of such scandals? And I'm not excusing any of these things. Wasn't it horrible that certain very few individuals within the church victimized children? Yes, it was horrible. And the church addressed that. And now the church has stopped that. Now we rely on Planned Parenthood to murder children in the very womb of their mothers. And do we have anything to say about that? No. We'll always hold the church up to this high standard. But we ignore when every other place or when every other person engages in sinful or improper behavior. And with regard to the scandals, I always love to bring this up. Again, I never excuse the scandals. I was ordained the year before all the scandals broke. And so I entered into my service of the priest having to face this in the church and my entire generation of clergy who have been ordained shortly before or right after and since, who are in no way responsible for what happened, have been held responsible By a very hostile public. We, the younger generation, have been blamed for something an older generation did, and people have generalized all priests. There was one time where I got into a a disputation with someone. I was at a graduation party, and a relative of the graduate, someone I didn't know, but was a, uh, a relative of that family, saw me. I came walking in, started socializing with the family that I know, and she saw me there in my Roman collar, and immediately started going at it with me and the eldest son of this family. Immediately going after me for being a priest, for being Catholic, and, you know, what about the history? What about the Inquisition? What about all these horrible things during the church? She just would not let up. And I answered her on each part. I I engaged her, and if I say so myself, I did pretty well. I've had a lot of practice. But then at one point, she says, what about the scandals? And I turned to my friend, and I said, Ray... I just want to let you know, now that she's brought up the scandals, that means I've won the argument. And when you really think about it, when you get someone who is anti-Catholic, they save the scandals as if it's their nuclear option. There's really nowhere they think we can go with that. That's their nuclear option. That's their last hit, especially if they think they're losing the argument. And that's why it indicates that they've lost the argument. They hit that, and that's supposed to end it right then and there. We have nothing to say. But I told my friend, now that she's brought up the scandals, that means I've won the argument. Because she thinks that is the clincher. Then I turned to her and I said, now if you want to keep going on these lines, I'm more than happy to oblige. And she did. So I did not deny what some in the church have done long before I was ordained. In some cases, long before I was even born. But I also pointed out that the Catholic Church Is the first institution in human history to aggressively address this issue within its own ranks. We've practically thrown the baby out with the bathwater in the way we've addressed this issue. We've addressed it so thoroughly that I know, at least in the Archdiocese of San Francisco and the Diocese of Los Angeles. It has been addressed so thoroughly that other institutions that work with children are now consulting the Catholic Church on how better to protect children. That's how thoroughly the Church has addressed this. The first institution in human history to aggressively address this within its own ranks. And I can tell you, that's a lot more than can be said for Hollywood, the advertising industry and the teachers' union-protected public school system. Huh? Unless your holiness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we zero in on the Catholic Church despite everything the church has done, and we criticize the Catholic Church for everything it has done, and instead of seeing it as a challenge for us who criticize to rise above that so that our holiness surpasses that which we are criticizing, we use it as at least a tacit excuse to live a lower standard. But Jesus gives us something very, very different, which is a very real thing to say in this day and age. Because people are very anxious to criticize the church, and rightly so, I think. But is it because we in the clergy are held to a higher standard? They don't want to think that the clergy is better than anybody, and yet they still treat us as so by being so scandalized when a small number of us, a small inexcusable number of us, fall into misconduct. But the standards they hold us to, they themselves refuse to live. And they're the same standards for everybody, the standards of holiness that Jesus is calling us to. So those of you who are defensive of the Catholic Church and, like me, are scandalized by its checkered past, but acknowledge that Jesus did establish this church and leave it in the hands of sinners, imperfect sinners, and also acknowledge the fact that over history, despite his checkered past, God's guidance of the church has managed to enable us as church to rise above our sinfulness, to rise above the sinfulness of some of its leaders, to be the church that it continues to be down to today. And each crisis the church has faced has led to it being a stronger church. Those of you who are still loyal to the church and seek to defend it, remember that. First of all, the church does acknowledge its shortcomings and seeks to overcome them. But those who continue to criticize the church, continue to hold up the church's flaws or the church's mistakes or the corrupt behavior of a small number of priests and bishops, do so in such a way as to tear down the credibility of the church because ultimately they seek the end of the Catholic Church, which, by the way, will never happen, but that's what they want to see. They want to see an end of the Catholic Church. Those demonstrators were demanding, release the names of your predators, and the church has done that. It's on the website of many dioceses. But that's not enough. They want to keep this issue alive. A, it'll make sure that the church doesn't fall into that, yes, But they're not just interested in reminding the church of its past. They're interested in tearing down the moral authority and moral credibility of the church. And they wish to do that not so that they can say, we are surpassing the holiness of the church, but they do so in order to legitimize the low standards or lack of standards that they themselves live. But Jesus reminds us, Unless your holiness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So don't be intimidated by the recovering Catholics who live for their animosity and bitterness toward the church. Always seek out the lost and make sure we give a welcome back to them and a reconciliation for whatever reason they left. And especially those who have been harmed, we need to extend that hand of healing. That is very, very important. But for those who refuse to be healed and simply live for the bitter animosity encompassed and enshrined in their anti-Catholic outlook, we do have a strong defense, not in what has been done in terms of the scandalous behavior of a few but we can be affirmed by how the church has addressed this, which, as I said, is more than can be said for other institutions that work with children, let alone other institutions that work with people of all ages. And we can continue to defend our church by acknowledging our sins, naturally, and acknowledging the sins of the church. There's no point in denying them. The church didn't even deny Judas Iscariot but also holding up how we aggressively seek to overcome our shortcomings, our sins, and the corruption and misconduct of others to ensure the continued credibility of the church. But for those who just seek to find excuses, don't be afraid to engage them. Because in the end, there are no reasons for leaving the Catholic faith. There are only excuses. Because in the end, when we look at whatever the moral status is of the leadership of our community or our church, whether it's the scribes and Pharisees at Jesus' time, the priests, religious ministers of today, or other public figures who we hold to a high standard, their failure to live that standard Is not to be used as an excuse for our low standards. But rather, Jesus turns it back on us. Our holiness must surpass the holiness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Your holiness must surpass mine. My holiness must surpass my bishops. And all of our holiness must surpass that of the Holy Father and all the bishops, and the leadership of the church. And our holiness is called to match the perfection of Christ, something we are not capable of achieving without God's grace. And part of that involves an acknowledgement of our own sins and not looking for excuses to remain in them. So those are the thoughts I have for today. Don't be discouraged. Pray for the church. Pray for the forgiveness of all of our sins, always keeping faith that God is with the church. And being with the church, he gives us what we need to rise above the mistakes of the past, even if those are not our mistakes personally, but mistakes of a few within the church and within the clergy. And he gives us, we pray, the insight to continue defending the church, even despite its shortcomings. So thank you for listening. If you get a chance, visit my website, www.frbillnicholas.com. Visit my YouTube page where I post my homilies and every now and again, catechetical presentations on various themes and aspects of our faith. And be sure you like and share this podcast. Hope to grow my audience. But I thank you for your presence. I thank you for listening. And with any luck, I'll talk to you again soon.